Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. But unless I'm mistaken, it's mostly about the Middle Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 44. Once again, I'm here with my regular co-host, Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's awfully early today. You know, we would have started, what, 45 minutes ago, but uh, yeah. computer issues and having hiccups, we're finally ready to go. No problem. I always love getting up at six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Well, hey, hold on a second. <laughs> I told him seven o'clock and then at 635, I get a message and him saying, are you ready to go? I'm like, Better make it 715. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're here. That's what counts. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, our schedule still has not improved, though. We're like, what are we, like six weeks or, I don't know, something I like think, that. I think so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not the most ideal. And we found apparently the, the best time to record these things is at 7 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best time for you, which means it's the best time for us, I guess. Unfortunately. Well, I'm working on the weekends. I'm working on the weekday. Uh, my son is going down consistently um, yeah. around 6.37, so we're going to get there. We're going to get there one day bring Good it back stuff. to the evening recording yeah <laughs> all right we can do it we can get there i think i'm uh, more what? focused on on getting us to be recording every week that's that would be the <laughs> ideal <laughs> yeah what well, that seems far away <laughs> uh, although we did actually record something um i can't Indeed. remember now if it was before or after the last episode it's been a while but we were on uh, a youtube channel we were yeah. we yeah, yeah, Ander, yeah, it's Anders Talks Hobbies. So it's A-N-D-U-R-Z, Anders Talks Hobbies. So yeah, we were on there for, uh, what was it, about a couple hours, I guess, right? We had a... Uh, hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, he's he's just started doing live streams, and uh, he does a lot of MESPG stuff, and uh, he had us on... I just looked it up, and the name of the name of the episode was called "The Secret Business of Games Workshop and MESBG IP Production and Much More." So we just kind of had a discussion with him about our uh, episode, like we had an episode there on the licenses and just our thoughts on what was going on. You know, we don't know. We're just we're just talking out loud, throwing out ideas, and so he he wanted to have a chat about that. So it was mostly about that, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think the one thing that the one takeaway I noticed is that when you're having a conversation with Don and and uh, uh, Mr. Anders himself, you always have to fight for um, time to be able to say something because they always cut you off. They always cut you off. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a little bit of a trend in there. You got to jump the in running there, gag. man. Come the on. running gag, the running <laughs> gag. I had well, one, a couple points. I was like putting up my hand. Hey, can I say something now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I have a turn? Yeah. Take him back to my school days. Put up your hand <laughs> if you want to say something. <laughs> yeah, that was fun though. That was good. And yeah, we know, uh, we know Anders from our, from our community. Um, like we're, we're based, like both of us live relatively close to Toronto in Ontario, mm -hmm. Canada. And he lives in Ottawa, which is like five hours away, still in still in Ontario, um, wow. but it's a five-hour drive. So you know, if you're not from around these parts, that tells you how big Ontario is. Um, but anyway, we we see him a few times a year, usually at tournaments and stuff. So mm -hmm. it was it was good to catch up with him again. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. He's always he's always fun to talk to, um, and he on the hobby side he is phenomenal with the hobby side of things, oh, terms yeah. of conversions and yeah. and painting. Extremely creative. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, very well known, and he'll hate me saying this for his King Kong versus Godzilla diorama. <laughs> that is <laughs> so true. Enders, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. When you go to his YouTube channel, it's like that's like the biggest yeah. thing, most popular uh, download. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's got about 8,000 subs, and I recall after he put out that just kind of random video that he did, he, he had like several thousand subs join his YouTube channel, if I recall correctly. I think so. It's, so just, yeah. it's just one of those lucky videos that comes along and and does wonders for for you you know yeah a quick quick aside I, I always find that with youtube channels like i always like go to like um like i'm being into like looking at hobby and basing stuff because i always want to improve my basing game and so mm -hmm. i'm looking at diorama videos and it's always interesting when you're like you click on like like how do you do water or something like that right like on right. a base and like you'll see like this one guy's got like his one channel and the one video's got like a million and a half views and then you click on it and you watch it it's phenomenal and then you look at the rest of his videos five thousand views two thousand views yeah. one thousand views and you're yeah, just like yeah. wow <laughs> everyone came for this one video <laughs> yeah i think it's pretty common among small youtube mm. channels is is that's what happens because it's like having done a bit of youtube it like trying to get up to your first few hundred subs is really hard and, and you know if you're not consistently putting out videos um for popular topics it'll, it'll take a long time to get up to say a thousand subs but mm. again it's that crazy youtube algorithm it's like you know, if you just get lucky on the right keywords in, in your video title or whatever other um, mysterious happenings are going on with the algorithm and it just gets posted more, mm -hmm. um, you'll you'll draw like a ton of views. Right. But yeah, most of the time it's it's a struggle to get, you know, up to a thousand. That's why most YouTubers, it's a big, big deal to get their first thousand subs. Mm. Yeah, I, I could totally see that because I mean like a lot of the times when I go to YouTube if I'm looking at videos and whatnot The number of views on a video is very important for me to see like is this a worthwhile mm -hmm. thing to watch? So like you get these videos that maybe quality like extremely quality content like the best out there But it's like 15 views and you're like mm. yeah, you know, so yeah. it really does have an impact well, and and that's the way um, like if you want to monetize your YouTube channel, there's uh, I forget what the criteria is now. <clears throat> Pardon me. I forget what the criteria is now, but there's like a certain minimum number of, uh, of views mm -hmm. and um, total time, wa total time watched or something like that. Yeah. I think it's a it's a trifecta. It's a number of subscribers, number of views, and number of hours watched. Yeah, you're right. Within the given year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the only way to get it is is to be consistent with your releases. But anyway, enough about YouTube because we're not on YouTube yet. So hmm, maybe one yes. day. Yet, yet. Good old quotation marks. I think once we've figured out this whole like con like consistent release schedule, then we'll look at YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like having done it before a little, it's. It's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more time goes into YouTube than oh, yeah. uh, than an audio podcast, unless you're just basically um, like you see a lot of streamers that just like talk live and they post it with like very little editing. Like that, that's not so bad. But if you get into battle reports and all that jazz, it's just like a ton of time editing. 
Oh, so. absolutely. And, and the, the thing is, like, to do a battle report, you really have to add that editing in. It's yeah. like, it really makes a difference in terms of the, the game. Plus, to do a battle report, we'd actually have to get you out to play a game. So that's oh. kind of hard. I would, I would say that's a low blow, but it's a well played shot. Well played <laughs> shot. That's like that's like in Battleship when you're like E7 and it's like you sunk my Battleship. Well yeah, played, yeah. well played. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, gaming and hobby stuff, before we get into that, I just want to mention one thing. Um, <clears throat> so the last episode we did was on the anatomy of a hobbit. Mm-hmm. And we went through all the stats and, you know, highs and lows of different stats for, for Hobbits, which is fun, eh? I like doing that. It was a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, but of course, right away, we had an we had a email, or I should say I got a, a, a PM message from one of our loyal listeners, Mr. Dwalin himself, Dwalin Grudgebane, oh. um, good friend of the show. <clears throat> and he pointed out that we did make a mistake. Oh, hey, that's all good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had said that the highest, uh, I forget now if it was fight and strength. Um, I think, is it three, we said? Um, but he pointed out that Smeagol is actually fight four and strength four. So we, we had not included Smeagol in our, in our I list. I think because we were looking at the Hobbit um, yeah. army list and not all Hobbits. And I mean, I guess yeah. you could say Smeagol at some... Then again, Smeagol is fight for and strength for because of the ring's influence on him over the last five years. Yeah, movies. that's what I was going to say. So, so yes, he is he is keyword the Hobbit. But I would say that even mm. like, you know, like the Mithril shirt kind of, you know, that stat number has kind of an asterisk beside it. And mm. it's because, yes, yeah, so, okay, technically, you know, it is strength <clears throat> four and strength five. Although it's like, you know only if you can hold the ring for 500 years then you get strength four and fight four but if you don't get the ring for 500 years no that doesn't count so exactly there and this go. is another example of how gw is against mary and pippin because Gollum gets a boost because of the, the ring but mm -hmm. those two when they drink the entroft mm -hmm. no bon no bonuses no bonuses oh, man, what, man. what's what's the yeah. deal with that yeah. That's so anyway, uh, so Dwal and Grudgebane, uh, check him out on Instagram. He's got some like really nicely painted stuff, really nicely converted stuff. Dwalin underscore Grudgebane. Thank you, Dwalin, for your feedback. Awesome. And speaking of games, speaking uh -huh. of games, we got together. We got together, you and me, all of the North of the Shire um, um, podcast hosts mm -hmm. um, got together for a day of gaming. That's we right, did, back yeah. In, yeah. That was a while ago. <laughs> well, it, it's still within the, the last episode, the current right. episode. Yeah. <laughs> that goes to show you how long it is between these episodes. Wow. I know. And um, we got together for a game, and we, it was a board game day. We were going to be going to TGX. Um, I was all set and ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, it was canceled. Um, TGX, a two-day tournament here in Ontario, but sadly, it was canceled this year. Exactly. So um, we decided, you know what, we all got the day off on Saturday, so let's still, you know, get together for some games. Mm -hmm. uh, we played some board games, um, but more notably, we tested out um, a alpha version of mm -hmm. um, a four-player game that you'd set up for us. 
I did, yeah. Actually, I think the game... What did we play? I think, were they not all Lord of the Rings things? Two of the three were. So one was the actual MESBG, one was the Lord of the Rings card game, the TCG oh, yeah. card game. Uh, yeah. And then the third one was a board game called Beast. Beast, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, the MESBG component... Um, many years ago, um, back on the GBHL, like we're mm -hmm. talking... I don't know, 2015, 2016, probably something oh. somewhere like that. So James and Jamie used to do this. Uh, they did it a couple of times and it was called the deadliest war band. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain criteria. You could only have one unnamed hero, mm -hmm. hero, um, a maximum of like six cavalry, um, a bunch of rules like that. And what was it? 200, 220, 220, 220 points. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you build your war band and then they were doing like faction on faction and it was kind of like a, you know, sort of a playoff, not a round robin, but a, an elimination sort of tournament, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To see which one was the best. So years ago, we actually ran a little event using, using those rules. Um, yeah. Again, I think it was 2017 or 18 we ran an event for that. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. And it's been so long. And I thought, well, what can we do with the four of us? It's got to be small. So mm -hmm. we did like a four-player, uh, you know, smash up of, of that. So essentially we kind of started like all four of us in a corner of the table. And we had to run to the center to get objectives and... You know, we, we I, I wrote up a scenario for it, which um, we had goblins, like Goblin Town goblins, sort of mm -hmm. appearing in the center of the board randomly, and they would just come out and fight the closest target. So it was e fun. I, I enjoyed it. E.G. Chris, he fought the entire <laughs> <Yeah>. goblin army. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris ran to the center first, so, like, all of the goblins that were coming mm -hmm. out, it was like, hey, there's a hunter orc. Let's go kill it. So he had he played hunter orcs. Um, yeah. I played my uh, dwarves, mm -hmm. uh, dwarf rangers and regular dwarves. Mm -hmm. And uh, what did you have again? You had, I played Rivendell. Uh, I played Rivendell. Rivendell, yeah. That's yeah. right. With a and lot of unpainted and proxied models, I might point out. Oh, absolutely. But you know yeah. what? I do have a Rivendell army, I will say that. Um, yeah. But I don't have Rivendell knights, and I don't have a captain on a horse. Mm -hmm. Although the captain on the horse was the Wifflebat Brigade. Fight six, a lance, on a horse... Three charges, every single turn rolled a three high. Every yeah. single turn. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't uh, do super well. Literally did nothing. Um, <laughs> and then Garrett brought his uh, Urukai scouts. Right. Yeah, because he's he's painted up an Urukai scout force uh, for battle companies. He did that. Right. So so lots of scouts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was yeah, a it was modified. Good. It was modified retrieval essentially what it was, mm -hmm. um, with multiple objectives in the center. And, uh, yeah, it was loads of fun. It felt yeah. really good to be back in the saddle playing the game again. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because it gets the juices flowing. So I uh, used my um, 3D-printed sort of dwarf um, underground terrain featuring, like, I have these two distilleries. So mm -hmm. we had, like, the two distilleries in the center of the board. And then I had, like, was it six? I think I had six sort of barrels, you know, of ale, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. and the idea was to, like, run to the center, grab a barrel, and then try to um, get it either like away from the center which would give you increased points like holding it you get points 
away from the center of the table you get points off the table you get even more points that, that was the kind of the way it was so yeah it, it turned out great and i think what we gave points for the most number of goblins killed yeah um what else points for things. your leader killing the most amount of models yeah and was it also killing enemy leaders um no it wasn't killing enemy leaders it was points number of kills and i think it was um I want to say points for wasn't points for break. I'm trying to remember no. what the last one was. Yeah, um, but anyway, a bunch of your standard kind of victory yeah, point yeah, things. Yeah. And yeah, then so. the game ended on on one one army being quartered. The game automatically ended at the end of the turn. So, yeah. 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 So it so. turned out really well. So we called it sort of the alpha test. So I took down all the notes of feedback. So we can try it again in another like ten years and see how it goes. Get out of here. We'll come up with <laughs> probably be a tournament coming to uh, the OSBGL uh, sometime yeah. soon. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because um. hey, you know those special those specialist type tournaments get a big draw. I remember the OSBGL. We'd start it with like singles, and then your specialist event was doubles. That was it, right? Yeah. And then it's really quickly evolved to battle companies because, like, everyone yeah. in the OSBGL, the OSBGL loves battle companies. We get a huge tournament every time we have a battle companies tournament. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I find it better than, like, doubles is good. Um, I hate it's not my, It's not my thing. I, I really don't enjoy doubles because you end yeah. up playing a game that's just as large as normal. Mm-hmm. So, um but it does allow newer players to get in because they can come in with a buddy with a smaller army. So it's, it's got that working for it. Um, for me, I would way rather play, like I would rather play battle companies than anything else. So um, like I would much rather play a battle companies tournament than a doubles tournament. Um, and I would rather play a singles tournament than a doubles tournament. So for me, doubles is kind of like a th- third rung <laughs> kind of preference, but yeah. I, I'm I'm all singles, but um, Battle Companies mm-hmm. is a close close second for me because yeah. it's just so right. much fun. I would love to do a two day uh, Battle Companies event, ten games. But anyways, mm-hmm. moving on from that. Yeah, yeah. So well, I guess we should talk a little bit about a hobby. Have you done any? I have. I have. Nice. Yeah. So first, let me preface this by saying, hobbits are the worst army to paint and build i hate them so much um why just because there's so many of them because they're metal i know people love metal but i hate metal i hate metal because you have to like with plastic you just take you know your knife you just take off the mold lines you're good to go with metal you have to file it and then you have to check it from like the reflection to make sure off the off the glint of the metal to make sure it's done and then you Mm -hmm. gotta scrub each model because you have to get rid of the mold release because it's so bad especially on the older models and then you can finally start moving ahead with painting the models (laughs) and if you miss the mold release and you and like i usually because i live in a condo i use brush on primer um Mm -hmm. i don't use spray on well spray on primer removes mold release very well brush on primer does not it's very apparent when you miss it so you have to thoroughly thoroughly scrub your models Mm -hmm. so it's a pain in the butt i'll say that yeah yeah but but i am i'm working on 75 76 hobbits right now um, all at once. I know Chris would be like, like he's just like shaking his head because he's like, you work out in small batches. Yeah. But I'm like, I hate like the prep stage. So yeah. I'm like, let's just get it all done with all my models. Um, and so I've got 76 hobbits that I'm two thirds of the way through filing 
to stuff off. And the other third is um, yeah. The when I when I painted my hobbits, I found that like what I did for painting, like normally the small batch thing is good, but for the hobbits, because there's just so many of them. Yeah. I had way bigger batches, and what I did was just I used a certain number of paints, like for clothing. Mm -hmm. And so, like when I had like my yellow paint, we're talking hobbits here, right? Mm -hmm. So I would I would just pick up every model and say, okay, this guy's gonna have a yellow shirt, this guy's gonna have a yellow hat, this guy's gonna have a yellow pants. That's what yellow, I do, you know. And then I would get out the blue. Okay, this guy's gonna have a yeah, you know, and just go through them like that. So it takes longer, but you're not getting your same color paints out constantly, time and time again. I, I have, I have. Um, normally, I would choose like a palette of like maybe like six or seven colors, right? Mm -hmm. And it, when I say six or seven colors, it's usually like three colors, but then like the other colors are highlights. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not just like adding white. But with the Hobbits, it's like. 15 colors and exactly that mm -hmm. oh, let's put red on this guy's hat or let's put like green here but as i'm doing it i have to be very careful with color theory because i'm like how would a hobbit actually dress would they wear yellow <laughs> pants and like a red shirt mm, i don't think so so like, like it's very much a lot of browns and greens and beiges <laughs> are still in it but then you throw the pop of color because i remember doing the color scheme for hobbits i'm like like checking the hobbit you know, source material, like looking yeah. at photos and, and even reading what, what Tolkien would suggest that they would wear for, for, mm -hmm. for like half colors. And he actually went to a very detailed description of what he would expect hobbits to wear and you know, what mm -hmm. color of clothing they would have. And he dove into like, they'd be wearing yellows, they'd be wearing reds and blues and greens and browns. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm trying to be faithful to, to Tolkien's descriptions of them. Cool. Yeah. That's all right. How, so how you about you? Um, yeah, we've been doing, I've been, I think I mentioned there's a couple slow grow leagues going on. So, um, I've been participating in one of those playing my Azog's Hunters, Azog's Legion stuff. Um, so we are, we just finished the 600 point milestone. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, so I've been doing that. I did really well. First milestone, 200, got all four games in it's four games per milestone, got all my stuff painted. Uh, the next time I got my four games in, but didn't finish painting all my stuff. Um, so you get points if you finish painting your, the models for your current milestone by the end mm -hmm. of that milestone, which mm -hmm. is three weeks. So I didn't get those. If you later get those things painted you get points but not as many um and now is the end of the third milestone um unfortunately i had like a really challenging few weeks at work and mm. just the scheduling didn't work out for me because like basically where it is it's in a city that i drive through when going to my work so yeah. it's kind of like i don't want to take like a saturday to drive there no. um i want to do it like as I'm passing through kind of thing and it just didn't work out and I was going to get zero games for that milestone but I guess other people were having a problem getting their games and so he extended it for a week mm -hmm. and uh, I ended up getting one game in so I got only one game in for, for my milestone and I still have until the end of today to try to get my stuff painted so um, it's a bit of a long shot, but we'll see if I can, yeah. if I can do it. But, but the best part of it is I'm getting like quite a few games in with a new army. I'm getting it painted. I've had mm -hmm. it on my shelf for years. So, so that's great. And it's totally different army for me to play. Um, 
because normally I'm focused on like infantry armies and this one is just way out there different so it's been fun a lot of different kind of units like it's got like I'm playing with ogres I'm playing with war bats I'm playing with cavalry you know a lot of fun yeah it looks really fun yeah so um yeah I mean the war bats how are the war bats they look good yeah, they're good. Uh, yeah, I can see taking a lot of them would like they're 25 points each, so they're expensive. But, um, you know, their their special rules are amazing. Uh, like they have piercing talons, which mm. is any model you charge with a warbat, it gets minus two defense, but Oof. only against the warbat's attacks. So mm. it's not like everybody else gets it. Um, but they also have a rule, and I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a flyby attack where you can fly over a man-sized model mm-hmm. and do a strength four hit on them, and then you have 50% chance of knocking them prone. Oof. Right. So that is like incredibly good. And if you combine it, like one bat knocks a guy prone and another bat charges that guy, and then they get minus two defense and they're prone. You know, like that, that's really good. I actually ended up playing a dwarf player in one game and I killed my favorite character, Balan, uh, doing that. I flew over him with a bat because he had run out. I flew over him with a bat, knocked him prone, then charged him and killed him. Yeah. Well, this is Balan who we're talking about. Yeah. So that's not exactly yeah, a he's not, feat. Yeah, he, he wasn't, um, he wasn't a, a, like, playing him the way you have to play Balan, which is very conservatively, but yeah. um, but anyway, but still, that was But that was a defense, was cool. eight, defense 8 model with, with, yeah. with three, is it two wounds and a fate? Or yes. three wounds and a fate? Okay. Two wounds, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's been fun, so um, nice. I'm still uh, carrying on with that. Um, my, my last milestone for that is essentially uh, Bulg. Um, so I, I will add a couple more models, I think. Because uh, you're allowed to switch stuff out in your list. You don't have to play the exact same list every time. So mm-hmm. so that's a little bit of flexibility. So that's good. That's having, good. Having fun doing that. So um, how many models How many models have you painted so far for the challenge? Um, well, my 600-point list is only 28 models. And are they... I think I haven't painted thimble foot and mounted mm-hmm. haven't finished my two ogres haven't finished my bannermen so you know i haven't finished like i don't know five or six models so it's over 20 anyway plus i have a few extra for dismounts so but didn't, didn't you paint other models throughout the year oh yeah uh, so so what's your total like for a painting challenge you know or for a painting challenge oh, I mean, I've crushed it already you think it's 50 models for you my man yeah it's it's I've already surpassed it. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Wow, so you so you finally surpassed me, although I, I did stop. No, no. For like four you're months. working on seventy models or something. Well, yeah. If I get those done, I mean, which I will. I mean, I figure by probably mid, end of August, uh, early September, yeah. I'll have all of it done. Uh, I just then, brought up my spreadsheet. So I'm at fifty nine uh, actual models, and like mm-hmm. this counts as thing we do is mm-hmm. seventy one. Um, but that's just MESBG. I also have like more models that are not MESBG 
Um, what's that? It looks like 25 more models on top of that that are for other games. I don't think Chris is going to beat us this year. Because I know last year we had a rule that I think it's like all of us combined times mm-hmm. two and he crushed us. <clears throat> yeah. This year, I mean, I'm projecting over 100 models done. You're going to mm-hmm. have over 100 models done. I really yeah. don't think Chris is going to beat us. Yeah, because my non-MESBG models count for our competition with... Uh, with Chris. Um, so yeah, I'll like counts as anyways, I'll easily have over a hundred. Yeah. Chris, step up your game, man. Like you're, you're way too far behind. Come on. Yeah. I don't know about Garrett. Um, he's, he's painted a few, but I'm not sure he's going to get a lot. So I find, I find with Garrett, he has a lot of models in work in progress, various stages. So I feel like if he just focuses on those, his model count will explode. Like he'll Mm -hmm. have like 40 or 50 models easily. Yeah, well, they're both into this new Star Wars game, so that's what he's working on now. Yeah, Shatterpoint. Um, yeah, yeah. Shatterpoint, yeah. I looked uh, at that game, and I was like, ooh, exciting. I'm like, no, I don't have time. I don't have yeah. time to record, so no. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> the same, that's the same as me. It looks great, but it got a pass. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'd definitely give it a try, but... Yeah. That's one of those games where it's like, if you have a, we all have a gaming day and you bring models for me to play, I'll give mm-hmm. it a whirl. Otherwise, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually uh, just to round out this uh, catch up thing, I um, I did play a tournament um, over a month ago. Uh, That's it would have right. it would have been just after we recorded, I think. I think so. Yeah. And um, I played my my usual Balin and um, <laughs> Balin and Dwarves because it was six fifty points, right? Um, so I did terrible this time. I think I only won one game, but. There was a first for me. Oh. There was a first for me at tournaments. I won the best painted award. And it was like a 20-player event, right? So it was my fr- the first time I've ever won a best painted. So that was something. And I would have actually won best display board as well, but they were like, yeah, you can only win one prize. So it's like, yeah, fair enough. I'll take the best painted because <laughs> I've never won it before. <laughs> so that was pretty pretty great. I'll say best painted is a hard award to get because I mean yeah. you you've got you've got players like um, like Paul uh, Chartrand um, and you've got like Chatty and you've got um, Chris who are all phenomenal painters. Yeah, Mike Shock was there as Mike well. Mike Shock, yeah, like, he's what? he's a great painter. Yeah, and it's so yeah. it's like whenever someone taps you on the shoulder saying, "Hey, you won best painted," it's like what? Yeah, <laughs> what is going on? Because often the times the best painted award is just a player vote. And so yeah, it's like yeah. the community is voting for you being the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really awesome. So that yes. was another that was like another box checked off for me in the. Uh, so I think now I've won <clears throat> best I've won best painted, mm-hmm. I've won best display board, yeah. I've won most sporting, I've mm-hmm. won the wooden spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've got like numerous second and third places in tournaments. There's just yeah. one one thing left to to win, the ever elusive singles win at a tournament. Yeah. Now, if you listen, to what, <laughs> if you listen to me and what I would tell you what to take as an army, you would win. But yeah, you know, hey. yeah. Well, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll bring out the Azogs hunters and legion. You and like that that that's got some teeth. That army. That's got some teeth. Uh, it's yeah. certainly got some uh, some failings as well. But you know, it can kill models. That's for sure. Oh, but absolutely. I was trying to think. I was trying to actually think. So like I've won these awards, and it's mm-hmm. basically you know just because like I go to a lot of stuff so 
if you throw enough stuff against the wall, something, something's going to stick kind of kind of thing, right? Exactly. Um, and I was trying to think how many tournaments I've played and still not actually won a tournament. How many tournaments do you think I've actually been to? I came up with a number that I think is is it's got to be I, that or higher, but what I, do you think? I think you need to look at how many tournaments you haven't been to. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do, we do a tournament a month. Sorry, we do, once we do a month, tr- yeah. once a month, and the league's been running how many years now? It started 2015, and then we kind of had two years off for COVID, right? So it'll be six years. So yeah. six years, 12 months, you're looking at 72 tournaments, and I, I gotta say 65. That's my number. Yeah, for so you. I don't, I've usually i missed like for the first five years let's say i missed like one tournament a year usually now i'm missing like more than half of them just because of a life thing but Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i figured and that doesn't include don't forget all of the non-osbgl tournaments because you know we we do have some tournaments in in our area here that are not part of the league and Mm -hmm. also we've traveled to uh places to go to tournaments as well that are obviously not part of the league like for example Mm -hmm. nova right so so i'm figuring that it's like i've played at least 70 tournaments easily it's it's got to be at least 70 um yeah so still haven't won a tournament still won a single singles Singles. you've won a doubles you've won a doubles um so yeah that's true huh yeah. You need to, so if you, if you listen to me, if, the, if the, the listeners can convince you to take the army that I would suggest for you uh-huh. and how to play it, then maybe well, you've got a shot at winning an event. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the dwarves. The dwarves are holding you back, my man. Sorry, I got to say this. Yeah, but they're the dwarves. They're the best. So, like, you know. Have do, I, do I really want to play an army that I don't like as much just to win? Like, Maybe you need to boof, uh, beef up your Vault Warden uh, count, you know? <laughs> like, just all Vault Wardens yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the key. Yeah, I do that's have probably about eight Vault Warden teams. I think two are painted, so... It's like, it's like balling and, like, four Vault Warden teams on each side of him, and he's just yeah. like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I picked up a bunch of the uh, 3D-printed Medbury miniature Vault Warden teams. Oh, my God, they're mm. so nice. Speaking Fine. of that, actually, Anders Talks Hobbies, he had Andrew Medbury on really? uh, as well after mm. we were on. So that was a really good interview as well. Um, anyway, I'll, a little I'll bit give of that a divergence. Word. Yeah. I'll give that a Um Last thing. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, oh, there's one more thing. There's one more thing. Um, So, yeah, the one ring. The one ring. It was was found. The one ring was actually found. For the Wizards of the... Wizards of the Coast TCG the card game, the, the Lord yeah. of the Rings card game that everyone's crazy for. It, that the cost of these 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 booster yeah. boxes is insane, six hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, and Magic some, the Gathering for those yeah. that don't know their abbreviations. That's right. It's um, they one ring has been found, and I think they, the price tag was two million USD. It was it was found in. Um, close to us here, actually, it was in Ontario, Canada. Really? Yeah, and. Um, the person that found it, I believe, immediately sold it for a million dollars. Wow. Um, so I don't know who has it now, but... Um, yeah, you know what would you know suck, though? From a tax perspective, they owe 50%. Yeah, 
yeah. That I read an article about it, and so that that was mentioned. But still, who cares? You you, you bought a pack of cards, and you come away with five hundred well, grand. That's I should nice. say I should say it's not the oh five fifty fifty uh, five hundred thousand dollars. It's mm-hmm. um, you were taxed on fifty percent of the value of it, so it'd be yeah. something like like you know, like two hundred fifty thousand or something like that. Right. But yeah, it's. Um, it's a it's a sweet deal regardless. That takes I mm-hmm. take seven hundred fifty thousand dollars after tax. For yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I actually just ran across on Facebook, just random post. Um, in happened somewhere in England, I believe. Um, somebody found a first edition copy of The Hobbit in a charity shop. Wow. So like the charity the charity shop ended up selling that book on eBay for 10,000 pounds. So, you know, they probably paid like, you know, less than a pound for it. Um, Yeah. But listen to this. So that sold on eBay, The Hobbit, first edition, sold for 10,000 pounds. So I'm not sure what year that would have been. But um, yeah, honestly, it completely escapes me now. But a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Um, that edition came out well listen so harry potter the first edition of harry potter and the philosopher's stone that sold for ten thousand five hundred pounds and that was only 1997 i think oh you know the kicker is i had a first edition of that damn book ages back oh my god that's crazy that that blew my mind like oh my god there's got to be hundreds of those books out there so yeah, like I mean, the first edition uh, Hobbit. I just looked it up. Is nineteen thirty seven is when it was first published. Wow. Yeah, and this was nineteen ninety seven. And uh-huh. I just looked this up. the The first edition of the Harry Potter Philosopher's Stone. There were five hundred published. Oh really? So yeah, I definitely yeah. didn't have that then. <laughs> I had to republish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but so, wow, anyway. that's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, like books these days are um, like the first editions of any books these days are, are quite pricey, regardless mm-hmm. of like what their age is, just because of limited run, I guess, on it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's a long enough catch up. Uh, why don't we move on to the main topic? Sounds good. And now on to our main topic, which is ranging ahead in Reconnoiter, where we're going to do a bit of a brief, I wouldn't say a brief, but a deep dive into the Reconnoiter mission, mm-hmm. which we've done with other missions, and uh, talk about how our army types, that we know the ones that we've talked about before ad, ad nauseum, uh, rank in this mission, and uh, some some thoughts on the underdog and how they can perform better, um, and sometimes give up the main um, mission objective to, to, to obtain victory in some um, reduced way. And lastly, tips and tricks for the mega win. Right. 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 So Don, do you the want to fir- start off? F- oh, yeah, I'll go through the mission. But the, verse, the very important topic discussion is how do you pronounce this word? Like the mission word? Yeah. Reconnoiter? Reconnoiter. Okay, because like, do you listen to uh, the Two Towers podcast? I don't. I'm trying to get more to listen to it. How do I pronounce it? You should. It's good. It's a really good podcast, actually. And if you like podcast episodes that are long, like three hours, um, most of theirs are in that 
time frame. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you should check it out next time you're in the car or on a trip or something. Um, but they made a point of saying that the way that the proper way to pronounce this, uh, which I don't really agree with, is reconnaitre. Because they're like, well, it's a French word. And that you should say it that way. And I'm like, well, no. Like, if you're French, you would maybe say it that way. But um, like most words in the English language have their roots in in French, I believe. Um, but they don't pronounce it. I actually went on Google, and, mm-hmm. and and there's a little Google thing that that gives the pronunciation of it. Um, and I was surprised that there are a few different ways to pronounce it. I say recon- or reconnoiter as well. Um, but anyways, I'll see if I can uh, squeeze in that little pronunciation thing. Okay. Um, uh, so so reconnoiter, isn't that mean T-U-R at the end versus the actual spelling? I don't know. But so, so how do you spell the last two letters? Is it R-E or E-R? E-R. E-R? Well, that's what I've got written here. It's, it's R-E, is it? Uh, sorry, not? it's R-E. My bad. Yeah. It's R-E. Uh, isn't that one of those um, English to U.S. Uh, um, spelling differences? I know U.S. spells it E-R. Um, but isn't it like the English spell it R-E? Yeah. It's in the, in the book, it's R-E. But yes. anyway, let's move on and let me talk about this mission. Um so it's scenario five. Uh, it's got all your regular stuff, layout, outline, blah, blah, blah. Starting positions <clears throat> is a little bit different because the battle starts, the forces are yet to arrive. Models are not deployed. Play- both players roll a dice um, with the highest choosing their table edge, etc., etc. Priority. Objectives. The game lasts until the end of a turn in which one force has been reduced to 25% of its starting number of models or below, at which point the force that has scored the most victory points wins the game. Um, this is important. Models that have escaped the board count as being on the board for the purposes of determining if a force is broken. So that's an important note. Um, scoring victory points, you score three victory points if more of your models have escaped the battlefield via your opponent's board edge than vice versa. If at least two of your models and twice as many models than your opponent have escaped the board, then you instead score five. If at least three or three times as many is seven. You score one victory point for causing a wound uh, to enemy leaders, two victory points if you kill them, one victory point if the enemy force is broken, uh, three if uh, enemy force is broken and you are not broken. Special rules, reinforcements, at the end of your move phase, roll a d6 for each of your warbands that are not on the battlefield, and consult the chart below. The warband's captain can use might to alter the roll. Models enter the board via the rules for reinforcements. Uh, roll for each warband separately, deploy the models in the warband, then roll to for the next. Um, warbands that uh, warbands that have still not arrived by the start of the fourth turn will automatically arrive on turn four. Oh, I missed that. Um, 
So the chart is basically a one to a three does not arrive, but receives plus one to this dice roll next turn. If you roll a four to six, the controlling player chooses a point on the board at least six inches away from the corner. All models in the warband move on to the battlefield from that point. There you go. Uh, designers note, what's this say? Special rules that allow for models to arrive from any table edge, such as goblin, mercenary, captains, mercenary ambush, um, much choose the controlling player's table edge for this scenario. So basically none of that shenanigans. Yeah, and it's worth noting that there are some models in the game that actually help with this type of thing, like I believe Madrill, right? Yeah, there's some heroes, um, so like Malbeth, but then there's also, sorry, not Malbeth, um, Madril. Madril. Madril is one, yeah, yeah, from, from uh, Gondor. But there's also some other ones, I think. Uh, it's not, there's one on the, the Mordor side, uh, the new orcs that came out from uh, the, the very beginning of the edition have the mm -hmm. same ability. Uh, a couple more do here and there, one from the mm -hmm. Hobbits. Uh, but yeah, overall, you're kind of at the, uh, the behest of the dice. Uh, and I believe you can might this rule, correct? Yes. It is yeah. mightable. There's also uh, one of the paths in battle companies does give a, does give a bonus to this type of role too. I forget which one it is, but should you play actual missions with a battle company? There you okay. Go. All right. I will say a really quick tip and trick for the mega win. If your army is slower than your opponents, might the roll so your whole arm becomes on the table first turn you mm -hmm. cannot spend a turn off the table because it's a turn you're not moving yeah up the table <clears throat> so yeah for sure uh, so in terms of ranking here we go crack the knuckles crack crack um okay. first the absolute king of reconnoiter is the mobile army type okay i'm gonna just jump in as you intro these sorry to okay. interrupt you so um, it's been a while since we've talked about our army types. That's so right. if you're curious as to what a mobile army type is, it was in episode 17. Oh, Go ahead. okay. Um, so like a standard infantry army takes nine turns to get all models off the table. Now we're not factoring in March here. We're just factoring in a six inch move and the fact that there's 48 inches on a board. Um, so mo and you start off the table. So that's something to consider. So uh, mobile can do it in five turns just because of you know the 10 inch move. Um, and they can rapidly reposition if their slower opponent attempts to block their initial exit path. So they're very diverse, uh, very very uh, versatile uh, when it comes to sort of playing the table mm -hmm. um, and you will in, with a mobile army you're almost always fighting in your opponent's deployment half like their half mm -hmm. of the table because you're just so quick at moving up the table to get into their yeah. deployment zone it's definitely um, what you want to do in this you don't want to be fighting in your own even table half in this one you want to be fighting oh, yeah. on the other side of the table yeah, oh yeah. So like turn two, turn three, a mobile army is in your table half easily, uh, and they are absolutely pushing into your face, which is not where you want them. Uh, and fast moving outflankers, which generally like combined armies and shield wall armies try to make use of, don't work against a mobile army just due to their ability to be versatile, rapidly reposition, and bring more mm -hmm. models against your outflankers. Because most armies take anywhere between like two and five outflanking models for objective grabbing a mobile army is entirely fast models so that's just it just doesn't work yeah um also i would say tied for mobile for a different reason is horde 
Now, Horde are amazing at Reconnoiter for one reason, and that's by virtue of owning the whole table. Horde is fantastic at table um, uh, ownership and, and table control, board, ta- mm-hmm. board control. And More on Horde. Uh, episode 11 was, uh, was the Horde army. Wow, type. that's way back. Yeah, uh, it is. And and they they have the ability to get so many models off the table. Like it, it's actually they can get more models off the table than your opponent has mm-hmm. models in their army. So they just um, don't do it quickly. No, they really don't because all, more often than not, they're not going to burn their might on early turn marches. It all depends upon the army they play. Um, so games against Horde are often fought in the Horde's half of the table or at the middle line, um, but they don't really care because your outflankers aren't going to get off the table. They can very easily mm-hmm. out, outnumber them. Um, as I said, you know, outflankers are largely ineffective against them, um, and they are really just strong enough to like hold you up while they're like five or ten models walk off the table and then you're just struggling to to pull out one or two on your on your side yeah like the horde has enough models where you can protect the entire width of the board from like enemy models getting off Mm -hmm. so the one thing i'll say about horde is a lot of armies a lot of horde armies, like for example, Goblin Town, they have the Goblin Town mercenaries and that kind of stuff. And, and Don's comment on the designer's notes applies to them. You're not able to just deploy them in any terrain piece and then walk them off the table. You actually have to deploy them on your board edge. Mm-hmm. So that's one little minor issue with them. Um, number two in our ranking. Remember, our ranking is one to five. One being amazing at this mission. Five being I hate this mission. I didn't wish. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wish we didn't roll it. Number two, I would say, is shield wall. Episode 10. That's right. And I would say they're surprisingly a very good um, army type for this mission, um, mostly because Shield Wall is the, I'd say, is the second highest model count, right? Because if you're doing a true Shield Wall, your mass infantry, um, some shooting, maybe a couple of outflankers, uh, but it's really just you're playing to the Shield Wall game of, of, of mm-hmm. uh, resilience. Um, and they do have a few fast moving outflankers. Um, and you know, a shield wall army can very much envelop a non-horde army or a non-mobile army, and they can use that sort of attrition game because shield wall is the best mm-hmm. of attrition, um, and they don't mind like playing that long game and slowly moving, getting their models off the table while you have struggle to break through. They also have one other really strong, um, what do you call it, uh, a, a tribute that you haven't mentioned here. And and that is the like the end condition of this mission is 25%. And the shield wall can really actually manipulate that um, end objective because like most of their models come with shields. So, you know, if you're if your opponent runs four models off the table and then is trying to end the game by having themselves quartered, well you can you can sort of uh, prevent that from happening by just shielding with your entire army while you march guys down the field. Yeah, very much so. Um, that was also one of our tips and tricks, but that's a good point mm. about uh, the shield wall. It's very strong that mm. way. Uh, a, a neutral three, so neither good nor bad, uh, mm. is combined arms. Episode and 20. 
episode so 20. Dying Arms, episode 20. Um, and they generally have less models than a true shield wall and rely mm-hmm. on sort of fast-placed uh, outflankers to score VPs, like the shield wall in, in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, and like the line breaker as well. Um, and, but their tricks, spell casting and shooting, and big hero are more than capable of tying up the last two armies, which is the line breaker and the leaf blower until you know the combined arms army can get models off the table so they've got the tricks to hold up the line breaker army the leaf blower army but when it comes to shield wall and horde and mobile they really just can't they can't compete can't deal with the numbers can't deal with the speed that's right uh number four on our list so they're not liking this mission it's not a good mission for them is Mm. the line breaker army episode 13 that's right this is my, my, one of my favorite armies, but they hate Reconnoiter for a couple of reasons. One, it is the the worst um, mission for time under fire. So if your opponent has any kind of ranged weapons, you, you're going to be four to five turns of being just taking shots, right? And if your line breaker elements want, so like your heroes, your mounted heroes, want any sort of screening from being dismounted from shooting, you can't outpace your warriors. You really need those to sort of defend you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is they're the lowest model count of all the army types. Is, you know, they function and they function best as a single cohesive unit, right? Um, and they heavily rely on those outflankers, those two or three models, those two or three cap they buy for outflanking to do all their objective grabbing. So they're easily roadblocked by, you know, the first three armies I talked about. Um, and they also can control the least amount of the board, right? Which mm-hmm. Reconnoiter really needs you to control a lot. Definitely. And, and lastly, their strength is their weakness in this mission. As you said about manipulating the, the break and the quarter, Linebreaker is all about breaking your opponent as fast as possible. So yeah. if you plow in and you're going for the kill, because you a lot of times with Linebreaker, you really have to go for the break as quickly as possible because your army's small. And mm-hmm. if you drag out a game, your opponent's going to start dragging down your warriors, start overwhelming your heroes. So it's really about a shock and awe, right? You shock tactics. So dragging out the game never works well for you in Reconnoiter because if your opponent gets models off the table, you're, you, you've essentially you've lost because sure, mm-hmm. you may break your opponent, sure, you may kill their leader, but oftentimes they'll get a 7-5 win against you. Yeah, because I, I, like, kind of like the perfect game for the line breaker here is to run across the table, get one or two models off, or three ideally, and then break your opponent. Exactly. That, that's how you want the game to go, but it's, it's difficult because the other guy is probably just going to be protecting his his board edge um Mm. and and looking at dismounting your models oh absolutely uh and last but not least the one that hates this mission the most the leaf blower Mm -hmm. the leaf blower being 15 15. 15. the leaf blower being an army that relies on shooting as its first and primary tactic yeah stand still Um, and shoot not a good recipe for moving across the table no not a good recipe for moving uh, moving across the table at all and i would say that with the leaf blower they often have to disregard the mission itself right which is get models off the table and that's Mm -hmm. seven vps and so them to really have a chance at winning you're doing break you're going for break and leader those are your two real options because they don't have the speed and they generally don't have the resources in terms of outflankers and whatnot just Mm -hmm. to run up the table and the other pieces 
um, they have to stand still and shoot. And that's really the anathema to this, how this mission works. Because, yeah, you could do move and fire. Um, great. So I move three inches up and I shoot your, in, in the case of a six-inch moving model, three inches versus your opponent moving six is really like that. It makes the game become like a 12-turn you mm-hmm. need 12 turns or 15 turns just to get models off the table to yeah. be able to also shoot and move and all that stuff. So really it's not fun for them. Mm-hmm. But I will say, as a quick caveat, the one Leaf Blower army, which is Rivendell Nightspam, is at least a two, if not a one, because they are a mobile army, but it's also a mobile army that shoots. So they have a they can move five inches and still shoot. They can move 10 or, or march mm-hmm. and then shoot as well. So they've got a lot of mobility and a lot of hitting power. Um, so yeah, those are my, my, my top five rankings. Don, do you have any concerns about how those are ranked and laid out? No, I think those are pretty accurate. Um, like I've played this a lot. Uh, and again, I mostly play infantry armies. So, so kind of line breaker or sorry, a shield wall, I should say. Um, the only way that usually you win a shield wall is, is if it's a long game, like with reconnoiter, mm-hmm. you, you know, you basically have to weather the storm and then go for a long game win here. Or like you said, with, um, with the leaf blower is is basically if you're playing a mobile army it's kind of disregard the mission just make sure they don't get models off the table break them and kill their leader that's kind of kind of what you do um but yeah i I think i think what you've said there is true um i would say um my only other comment here and it's not specifically towards the the army types but i would say that this mission like if you were to look at each mission and sort of rate them in terms of time it takes to play the mission so Mm -hmm. let's just even categorize it as like short medium and long this is a long one this is one of the longest missions to play um, Mm -hmm. or amongst the longest and it's one of the reasons why like i dislike this mission um, just because the amount of time that you have to commit it's not a good mission for tournaments um simply because it's very swingy um and also it, it like takes up a ton of time yeah um as um band of breast would uh, agree with you totally it takes mm-hmm. way too much time yeah um and so let's dive into some army versus army thoughts All right. on the underdog um so first leaf blower if you don't mm-hmm. have fast-paced outflankers, don't try to get models off the table uh, against many of your opponents. There really is no point. Um, you should focus on breaking your opponent through numerous turns of shooting. So really what you want to do is deploy your army sort of centrally um, with some elements able to challenge outflankers, right? Because you don't want to just give them the, um, the edges, no. right? Um, and you, ideally, you want to put as much distance between you and your table edge as possible before you start shooting because if your opponent's able to break get models through you need time to be able to deal with them so that you can stop them from getting off the table edge mm-hmm. um, and this is going to be a tight game because your focus is on five vps three for break two for a leader right so if two of your opponent's models get off the table it's a tied game so like straight up um it's a it's you've, you're you're giving up the 12 points and you're really focusing on five um, it's not fun, but it's manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
in a very manageable but in a not so fun way. Uh, and finally, line breaker. It's not an unwinnable situation, but it's really hard. Um, and heroic march is a necessity for this because you need to push your army up the table as fast as you possibly can so that you're fighting your opponent on their table edge, um, on their table half, so that once your opponent breaks, you've got at least a chance to dash for the, the, their, their side to get models off the table. And generally mm -hmm. speaking, you're going to be doing things like a heroic combat springboard, right? You may charge a couple models in, um, a couple of your cab models in with your hero, do a heroic combat, shoot your, your cab models off uh, to get them as far uh, into your opponent's, um, deep into your opponent's territory as possible while working your opponent down. Um, and this is really about, you need to get to the point where you break your opponent, get a model two off before your opponent even has a chance of getting models off the table. So it really comes down to speed. You've got mm -hmm. to be very aggressive in this mission to have a chance at winning it. Yeah, and I mean the the line breaker. This element, this mission does have two of the normal things which they're really good at, which is leader kill and break. So you can certainly play for those five points, like you mentioned. But mm -hmm. yeah, in this one, kind of getting models off the board for them is kind of like a bonus. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, last but not least, the tips and tricks of the Mega Win. Okay. Nice. Um, so firstly, I would say, first tip, spread wide. So unless your army absolutely has to be together due to synergies, spread mm -hmm. out. Um, and it's not so much about owning the whole table, it's about being able to challenge as many choke points as there are, right? Because terrain makes a big deal here. Um, and it's all about setting up where your models are going to be to challenge those choke points because um, the flanks are everything, and we'll talk about that later on, but the mm -hmm. flanks are everything. And if you can really sort of break it down to if I stand at a certain point on each flank, I pretty much stop my opponent from being able to move up the table on the edges, that's where you need to get your models, right? Because um, it'll prevent your, prevent your opponent from getting freebie models off the table and also by spreading out you avoid telegraphing your play well in advance right because with this mission being spread out allows you to sort of like um play a bit of a kg mission with your opponent where you really have no idea which way you're going whereas if you're all going up one flank or all going up the center your opponent knows exactly your plan and can and can really take their time to build a counter strategy against you because they'll have four or five mm -hmm. turns to do it absolutely um Breaking, you know, we Don talked about this with Don, his dwarves, but breaking isn't that bad and it can be used to your advantage, right? And this is um, one of those missions where like, if you've got models off the table, uh, especially three models off the table or triple your, your opponent's model count, breaking early is a good thing, right? Because it allows you to speed up the process to get to 25%, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this means um, uh, the game could end before your models get, your, your opponent gets any models off the table. Um, so if your opponent sort of like kicks it up the, the aggressive play to, to get down your throat to break your army, don't stop that, you know, sort of encourage it. Um, yeah. But the only caveat here is, you know, like your general can't die. Like a 7-3 is a, uh, you getting seven points and your opponent breaking you is a 7-3 win, which is a major win by the player's handbook rules, uh, the general's handbook rules, but a 7-5 win is a minor win. So be mindful of that. And a couple of quick tips here on breaking faster is 
don't be you know discouraged about you know putting your models prone right um, and walking into combat or fainting um, to lower your fight value or once you are broken and you gotta get to 25 percent you just start rolling courage tests for your warriors first don't use your heroes yeah. right because he did it does not require your heroes to roll first for the stand fast roll your warriors first and see how yeah. many that fail right yeah because i actually just played this mission uh in our slow grow it was my one game i got in and so i was playing with my um azog stuff and um, so just a caveat here. So this breaking isn't bad that you're talking about. That's assuming you're winning, like assuming yes. you have a yeah. few models advantage, like off the table over your opponent. Mm -hmm. um, because once you break, especially if you're a low courage army, you can get to 25% very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, we we reread the rules for stand fast, um, just because I don't, I don't know them off by heart, and so it's like, okay, the reason I wanted to reread that is because what I want to do here is I wanted to take all the courage tests with my orcs before the heroes go, and so my very first turn, I I I think I had like almost half of the models I had left on the table ran off. And all of a sudden, like I was like in one turn, I was like almost at 25%. Yeah. So for, yeah. for low, low courage armies, this is a very useful tactic to get yourself from break to quarter, yeah. um, especially in those missions where you're winning it. And this is one of those, the situations where you need to say to yourself, can I get a max VP win? And the answer is if, if the answer is no, um, can I get a major win if I do this? And if the answer is yes, that's worth it because a lot of games use major minor, a lot of tournaments use major minor as the first differentiator to see who wins the event. So you getting a major win um, is more important than you getting a 12-7 win or a 12, you know what I mean, like a 10-7 mm -hmm. win. Like these types of wins where you, you get higher VPs than you would have gotten uh, than that 7-0 win or 7-3 win. Um, but the differential is your opponent gets way more VPs and all of a sudden you're now getting a minor win instead of a major. So really think about that in terms of term, the, the tournament pack um, yeah. and, and what, what um, the fact, those factors. It's one other thing I'll just throw in here is that you that you do need to keep track of in this in this game is like don't just run like 10 models off the table if you have the opportunity to do it mm -hmm. you just have to like you have to keep an eye on what your opponent has off the table or can potentially get off the table um, because you don't want to throw models away and run them off the table when you don't need to mm -hmm. because the problem with running a model off the table is they don't count as being dead. So mm -hmm. like it is possible in this mission in a really weird way to basically have no models on the table but the game isn't over. Yep. Uh, and, and so you definitely don't want that to happen uh, unless you know for certain that you're going to end up with more models off than your opponent because they'll have infinite amount of time to just march his army down the table and get every model off exactly and this is especially you know, like people who play like the black riders list right it's like oh i just get a couple models off the table uh and then i'll just like sort of like suicide myself by diving into mm -hmm. combat letting myself die um but then they push too many models off the table and they can't break and then your mm -hmm. opponent just walks their whole army off the table and you lose the game so definitely something to be mindful of right. is how many models you can get off the table and still be capable of being broken on the the, the actual table itself 
remind me of that Black Riders reference at the end, and I'll tell you a little story to end it. Oh, okay. Um, so conversely speaking, tempo is everything. So in this mission, really any mission with a, with quarter, tempo is everything. Because unlike break, the other missions where breaking means the countdown timer starts, where you start rolling to see if the game ends, at quarter the game just ends. Okay, so if you're playing like a linebreaker army or an army that's very aggressive, you need to start calculating how long it's going to take for you to get your models off the table uh, versus how fast you're killing your opponent. Because you, as we talked about, this, the way in which you can force um, your models, your broken army to flee faster, um, you can't rely upon the game continuing for very long after your opponent breaks. So it's really about gauging the speed at which you're killing, <clears throat> and if you're killing too quick, switch to passive fighting, which could be like lots of shielding, um, lots of one-on-twos to delay the, the break. Um, it could also be fainting as well, again, to lose the fights, but it also could be when you're charging your heroes in, charge against one model, not against two. Right? So again, it's all about slowing down the killing spree, but always making sure that you have still the advantage in the fight, because you don't want to slow down to the point where you lose all momentum, and then your opponent overwhelms you and destroys you. Right. So it's about once you've gotten, you're, you're, you're firmly in control, slow it down to the point where you allow your army, like your outflankers, to get off the table. Um, and if you're killing too quick and you notice you don't have a choice, there's two sort of ways in which you can speed this up. So first is heroic actions, right? Sorry, sorry. first is the heroic action march. To win this mission and, and get the big VPs, you need a march in your army. Because one thing, get your whole army on the table first turn. Second thing, get your whole army on the table. The, the, the armies that aren't like mobile, get your whole army on the table in a position that allows one character to call march and push the majority of it up the table in future turns. And the reason why this is so important is, as we've discussed, fighting your opponent on their table half is so critical to being able to control the game and push your models off the table when your opponent can't, pushing them off your table edge. And so by marching and burning that might to get up the table as fast as possible, you're able to then um, fight on their table half, you're able to control their outflankers much better, and mm -hmm. you're able to just set the tempo. Um, and that's the first way of doing it, right? And the second way is heroic combats. And we talked mm -hmm. about this many times, it's the springboard. And so it's really about um, taking your outflankers, taking your fast-moving cav, um, and, and hitting the flank, picking a single uh, warrior, and throw a hero in there, call the heroic combat, kill that model, and then shoot your, um, your cav 10 inches towards your opponent's table edge. And that's really what it's all about. Get the springboard, shoot them into your opponent's table edge, and more often than not, you know, calf models move 10 inches, war infantry move generally six. There's no way they can catch you the next turn. So you're just going. And so that way, I've, I've, what I've done there is I'm able to hit the flanks, push three or four calf models up the table. Mm -hmm. Immediately, my opponent can't deal with them. Um, otherwise, they'll lose their battle line and I'll just totally overwhelm them. And so they just have to accept the fact that at that moment, they've lost seven points and now they're just struggling to keep it from being a massacre yeah because like normally everybody uses a heroic combat to get an advantage in killing more models on the on the enemy side right mm -hmm. but in, in missions like this the second move for that model is actually worth more 
than the combat advantage that it would give you. Like an additional 10 inch move for, for a model that moves that far is, is like a whole turn of movement. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's a whole turn of movement your opponent can't counter because yeah. they're just watching you move. So absolutely, <clears throat> um, that is such a powerful thing. Um, and that can also be beautifully um, uh, augmented by spellcaster casting compel, right? Like you pull a model out into position, you, you do your whole combat springboard, and boom, mm -hmm. you take off, and your opponent really has no chance of stopping that. Yeah. So um, com comboing the spells with the heroic combat springboard really is beneficial for this mission. So you're uh, literally using the heroic combat as a leapfrog in that example exactly and you know if your opponent has outflankers that they use to try to they may try to sort of block this you know, like or, or chase down your models again another compel pulls one of those outflankers into position mm -hmm. to allow you a second heroic combat springboard to shoot even further into the opponent's deployment half so um don't think that if you've got spellcasters with compel and they've got mobility don't think that your opponent chasing after you is going to be a bad thing. It's actually quite potentially a very good thing because it gives you even more free movement. Um, right. And so on the evil side, in wargs, they shine. Oh, the yeah. warg riders, this. the warg riders and warg marauders, this is their mission to shine. Um, because oftentimes you push your wargs right up to the table edge, right? You're going to run off and mm -hmm. your opponent's like, excellent. One model goes off the table. Well, don't stop, dismount, and take the courage test. Because if you pass that courage test, all of a sudden you now have two models that are going to walk off the table, yeah. and your opponent wasn't expecting it. Uh, and in the case of Warg Marauders, um, a fresh Warg Marauder has four models potentially that's going to walk off the table, or mm -hmm. a guaranteed three. And it's like that right there could be like, Oh, I'm 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 playing to my like, I'm playing my opponent. I'm like, okay, he's gonna get one model off the table. I can manage that. Oh gosh, he got two or four models off the table. That just totally derailed my plans, and now I've lost the game. And it's yeah. kind of like a, a mini gotcha, but it's definitely something to be watching for. But if you can play an evil army that has warg riders or warg marauders, definitely be taking them for this type of so, mission. So in the game that I just played this past week with the slow grow, so. I'm fighting in my opponent's end of the table. The first mm -hmm. unit I have that's down the end of the table is my mounted uh, warband, right? And I run, uh, I think, three fell wargs, like just on their own. And essentially, I, I run them in front of my cavalry to for the in the way, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I had one, just as I was coming in to do my first charge on the enemy unit, I had one of those fell wargs that was still alive and within 10 inches of the table edge. I mm. ran off. So I charged in with the rest of my stuff. We fought, had a round of combat. Next round... I, you know, charged again, and I wanted to get all of my models into base contact to do as much killing as I could possibly do. And we were playing on his, like, you know, right on his table edge, essentially, at this oh, point. Wow. And what happened was I had one warg rider, or hunter orc on warg, who couldn't get into the combat because of the 40 mil base. So that's exactly what I did. I dismounted so that my hunter orc could charge in and then would now have two attacks because of a special rule mm -hmm. and rolled for the warg, it passed and I just ran it off the table because there was no room for it to get into combat anyway, right? So it was yeah. like, hey, awesome. You know, it's exactly. worked out perfectly. 
Exactly. And that's, that's really what you have to do is find ways to, um, to creatively make, you know, magic happen. I remember playing mm-hmm. at uh, Nova my second time around, um, and I was playing as a, a gentleman who ran a, um, uh, it was like a, a troll army, right? Like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a hood troll army. Um, mm-hmm. and we were duking it out and I was playing, um, Mordor, but I was playing it with a couple of, with only one, uh, uh, only one uh, ring wraith, not a fell beast, um, and we're playing reconnoiter, and that's exactly what I did. I ran two uh, fell wargs or two warp riders up the mm-hmm. table, up the one flank. I got to the table edge, dismounted both of them. One warg passed their courage check, walked three models off the table, and I had the seven from there. And my opponent just couldn't do anything about it. And so yeah, yeah um, strongly recommend those models mm-hmm. are amazing. Um, and so our last tip or trick is the flanks. This game is won or lost on flanks, right? Your control of the flanks is everything. And if you can control them or find nifty ways of delaying your opponent, you seriously will improve your chances of getting a major win here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that includes siege weapons with knockdowns, um, spells with knockdowns, Sorcerer's Blast, Wrath of Bruin, and Nature's Wrath, and any movement shenanigans, right? Transfix, Compel, the um, uh, fear-inducing aura spell, uh, it's instill fear. Um, so, you know, when it comes to siege engines, it's not a bad idea to set your siege engines up with a very clear view of a flank or two, depending upon mm-hmm. the range, to allow them to just be like, you walk in my zone, I'm going to dump some siege shots at you mm-hmm. to knock your models down and slow you down. So you're just uh, denying, you're denying that flank is basically what that is. Exactly. Yep. And the other one is a mounted spellcaster. Um, with those above spells, the Sorcerer's Blast, the Compels, the Transfixes, to really just sort of patrol a flank to control it. So like if your opponent's got two or three Cav coming at you, they can walk up Sorcerer's Blast, one of them off their base, maybe do a Compel and then a Charge, something where you're controlling the models that are coming towards you and preventing them from having any hope of ever getting off the board edge. Uh, And this is um, really sort of, um, uh, I would say, um, enhanced by how the terrain is set up. Right, um, and I would say if your flanking models are slower or less numerous than your opponent, then it's time to switch to a delaying action. Right, so your goal of this force, this flanking force, is to delay your opponent long enough until you break your opponent or you get models off the table somewhere else. Right, mm-hmm. and so, um, and such a force should include some shooting and some outflankers, and really you're looking for choke points to mitigate um, their model count superiority, right? So like the hot gates situation, you know what I mean? So if I can stick three models in and that blocks his five cav, perfect. That's what I'm gonna do. Um, and also what you want to do is you want to try to bait. This is definitely the situation where you want to bait, put some foot warriors out to accept a charge, and then maybe you counter charge with one of your cav, right? To sort of remove the cav charge and give you a dice advantage in the fight. Um, And if you've got the opportunity, throw like a mid-tier or a lesser tier hero on a flank, and this can be an amazing equalizer for one reason, heroic move, right? Being able to, because most opponents don't put heroes down the flanks, um, so having uh, even a low two here with one might, being able to call a heroic move at a clutch moment means you can snatch your opponent's models as they attempt to do to break through, trying to run around you, and all of a sudden that could be a total game changer in the in the delaying um, the delaying uh, game. Mm-hmm. And I should say actually, because I know I normally drop in a jank. You know, let's talk about the jank move. The jank move with reconnoiter 
is where you're going to deploy, like what deployment zone you have deployment quarter, right? Because normally yeah, people deploy, deploying second in this mission is a really big advantage. It is, but also it's choosing your table edge is also a big advantage, right? Because we talked about the choke points, right? So most people, when they show up to a, a, a table, whatever side you show up to is generally the side you play on, right? And so here comes this the jank. This is your, oh, this, this is the jank. This is the jank. Okay. So you want to assess the table from all the board edges, all four, the one in front of you, the one on your opponent's side, the one to your left, the one to your right, um, especially if you don't have a strong outflanking mm -hmm. force, because you're looking for what table edge can I walk on that gives me the most amount of choke points to stop my opponent from pushing up the table. And if it's where I'm at, great. If it's to my left, to my right, then you know what? Don't hesitate to say, I'm going to choose my deployment zone on the left. You get it on the right, and then boom, I'm now coming on, and I've got the terrain is now benefiting me. It's helping me stop my opponent from being able to play the flanking game. So that's the jank move. In a tournament, it never says where I stand and where you stand are the only two table edges. The two table edges to your left and right are always available. Well, you're right on one thing. That is a janky move. Yes. <laughs> so... I'm right at everything. Get out of here. Um, yeah. And so that's it. It's a short one in terms of this uh, review for Reconnoiter because, I mean, one, there's not a whole lot you can talk about with Reconnoiter. It's about, you know, we've talked about the movement game. We've talked about the tricks. We've talked about that yeah. sort of stuff. But really, it's just a game of movement and getting off the table as quickly as you can. Yeah, like aside from face value, i.e. run models off the other side of the table, um, the, the, the thing that really requires some finesse in this is when it looks like the other guy is going to have a big advantage getting models off the table. So you really have to think your way through the game, uh, keep track of how many models you can potentially get off, keep track of the leader kill, the break, and also the 25% is like so important. Like try to prevent the 25% from happening. Um, as long as you can so that you can get models off the table. Yeah, um, and, and, and so, yeah, it's really about, you know, like um, we talk about read the mission, um, you know, five turns in, read the mission again, right? Mm -hmm. This is read the mission every turn so that you are so yeah. understanding of the mission and its requirements. It's about watching your opponent's, um, uh, you know, his dead pile versus yours. Count. You need to be counting the number of models yeah. to break um, and really be watching it. And, um, you know, we talked about move and combats, but uh, one of the ways to combat the whole, I'm just going to run off the table or let myself break and just fl and, you know, flee all my models, is to having might in reserve to call a heroic move to just tie his models up to prevent yeah. stand fast, prevent courage tests from being rolled. I think one of the reasons too that I don't like this mission for tournaments is the time. Mm -hmm. um, because if you have a, a mobile army, um, it is such a big advantage even before mm -hmm. considering time. But when you consider time, like dice down and all of that, or you have like, you know, you know, 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is to play a game, it might actually just not be enough time for the player at a disadvantage here to play a long game and get a win. Yeah. Um, so it is just such a big advantage in a tournament setting mm -hmm. to play this game with a mobile army. Agreed. So it's one yeah. of the reasons why I just don't like this mission. 
And so, to, to absolutely to Don's point, you know, when you're looking at this mission, looking at how long a tournament gives you to play the mission is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, even there's, I'll even talk about. I know we, we sort of stopped from the tips and tricks, but one of the other ones is giving yourself more time, and that means get your models down as fast as you possibly can, especially mm-hmm. if you're an army much slower than your opponent. If you're playing um, like a shield wall and your opponent's playing a mobile army, get your models down quick. Don't dally it's like just get them down get them moving and if you got to use movement trays for larger armies do it because you got to make back that time to be able to mm-hmm. have a chance at a playing for the boardage for a long game okay let me let me just throw this out at you your black riders reference yeah. Yeah. the last tournament i was at 650 garrett mm-hmm. played the black riders and i forget he had six or seven of them mm-hmm. um all mounted and mm-hmm. I played him, and we drew this mission, Reconnoiter. Mm. And I had six, 650 of dwarves led by Balin, three, three warbands. And yep. we were playing We were playing with this veto thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of that, but we were playing with that, and it was the pool five maneuvering scenarios. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, great. Um, so... What we ended up doing, he vetoed one of them, and mm-hmm. I did not want to play Storm the Camp because it's even worse than this one for time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, normally, I'm like, ah, oh, Reconnoiter, Dwarves, no. Um, but I thought about the matchup, and I, I made a mistake here. But, like, for the one in a million time, I figured, you know what? I'm actually going to pick Reconnoiter for for this rather than divide and conquer i think it was ultimately the wrong choice but i'll tell you why so i thought what i can do here because he's only got six or seven models i can basically just ignore his army um in this mission and i'll just bring my huge army on in a block spend one might turn uh, point a turn and march every turn and I will just, if he fights me, I'll just ignore him and just keep marching down the table. And I'll end up just like marching like, you know, 10 or 15 models off the table. And I thought, this is a great strategy. It's like, you know, he can't prevent me from doing it. Wrong. So they they have that stupid ability where, where they can, uh, what's it called again? Screech? Yeah. Where, where they can uh, do an automatic transfix on mo- one model every turn. It's a once per game thing, but it's like you rolled a six on the on the spell. And it's a rogue channel. And, yeah. yeah. So basically, all he would do is wait to see who I called the march with, and then he would screech that guy. Boom. Point of might wasted. And I'm like, oh my god, that that ability is like ridiculous. Yeah. I actually surprised you didn't choose Storm the Camp. That's a perfect mission for you. Well, Storm the Camp is just like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's like just because you're going diagonally across the table, um, it's just so far. Yeah, but the point there is from a game... You start on the table, though, so that's an advantage. Yeah, but the the difference there is that um, you just sit in your object, you sit in your camp, and you just don't move. Like, you want to draw? Cool. You gotta, you yeah, gotta come that's to me. True. And the other thing is, while you're within the 12-inch radius of the camp, you auto-pass courage tests. 
So, I'm so like, you're so you're basically just saying <laughs> stay in the camp to sort of prevent him from achieving the objective. Yeah, and then just shoot him. Yeah. As he's coming yeah. at you. And I'm like, yeah. Screech, go for it. I'm, I'm just using bodies to hold you up. Yeah, and I didn't then, think of that actually at the time, you know. So and it's it becomes a no win situation for him because like he's charging at you and he's like, Oh, I'm gonna get in a combat with you and I'm like, Yeah, I knocked your socks off but mm-hmm. um, standing in the camp allows me to um, auto pass courage tests. So there's no hope of you actually um, So you can charge at will, basically. Yeah, essentially, yeah. 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 Cool. Just, anyway, I lost you know, chalk that up to another uh, a loss for for me. But anyway. Yeah. Well, you know what? Well, I mean, you you said you drew, right? No, I lost. He oh, won. you lost. Yeah. Wow. Wow. He won. He he broke me and killed my leader. I think. Oh, he yeah. broke you. Interesting. Oh, because you couldn't yeah. charge his models. Yeah, like he just wore me down as I was moving across the table. You know, mm. by the end by the end, I was I was down to a. A small number. I did kill uh, at least one of his guys and dehorsed a couple, but I realized later too that my strategy it basically took my bows out of the game, and like they would have been so valuable if I had to done something else. Bows are so critical so. to shoot to dismounting him. Like you yeah. gotta use the bows to, to, to dismount because if you allow him to just work his his horses, uh, you, yeah. you have no chance. He'll just pick yeah, you apart. For sure. Um, all right. So. All right. Well, let's. Let's put an end to this episode because I think we've gone way longer than we planned. Mm-hmm. And I can hear Ben Dobris in the background wanting his dad. Yeah, and I'm getting a bit of a stink eye, so better. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thanks, everybody, once again for joining us here on another episode of North of the Shire.